Godzilla vs. Kong. Nomadland. Sound of Metal. Promising Young Woman. Zack Snyder's Justice League. Minari. Oh, and Capone's on there as well. All these and thousands of other films are available on Cinema Paradiso. To claim your 30-day free trial exclusive to listeners of Creaky Chair Film Podcast, go to cinemaparadiso.com and enter the code CREAKYCHAIR21. Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of Creaky Chair Film Podcast. This is Creaky Chair Festival 2021. Forget Cannes, forget Berlin, forget Sundance. It's overpriced, pretentious nonsense. This is Creaky Chair Film Festival. Uh, the film festival for the people, yeah. by the people, is, yeah. curated by the people. Mm. Attended by... Three people. <laughs> uh, yeah, in time on a tradition, uh, we gather uh, on a yearly basis to try and enjoy an expertly curated programme of films uh, that each of us has selected. I also need to point out at this point, we are 32 years old. Yes. <laughs> On this bonus episode, we, we're going to be giving our thoughts. So this is fresh thoughts. We've just watched uh, these films earlier on today. Some we, of us haven't made notes. Some of us have. We're going to be giving our thoughts on Ben Wheatley's latest film, In the Earth, uh, and then providing, as I said, our instant reaction to uh, three other films that we've each picked to view. Before we get started, though, uh, in talking about In the Earth, Let's. We've been we've been doing these kind of little gatherings, these little festivals, for a couple of years now. Is there any particular highlights, any fond memories that uh, that stick out? I think there's. Um, I have a very very fond memory of when we watched the film Wake in Fright. Yes. Um, and obviously, if you've seen Wake in Fright, you know, there's a lot of a lot of boozing in it, kind of like with none and I levels of like revelry occur. Um, and before watching the film, I decided, I posed the idea that we should drink along with John Grant and take a drink for every time that John Grant had a drink. It was a, it was a great idea. It, it, it made all of us wake in fright. Uh, I yeah, just, it was a terrifying experience. I've, I've not really gotten over it, to be honest. Um, I'm still recovering from that. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean that, that, was, that was quite visceral. Yeah, that was yeah. that was Donald Pleasance with his like <laughs> with his eyes boring into my very we also, soul. We also watched the Grand Booth, which yeah. is oh. um, which is a fantastic. But film. we didn't do uh, eat pate a lot. No, we, <laughs> we did our there. best. We did our best. Bill, well, like, Bill did fart himself to death. Yeah, though, I, I, I ate with. an entire pack of Maryland cookies. But um, you know, I, I, yeah, we we tried our best, but. We didn't. We didn't really um, get to the heights of those 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 wonderful characters, but um, we tried. That, that's what we try and do on these uh, on these on these meetups. Also, we, uh, normally, um, and we it hasn't happened this time actually. Although it did happen last night. I, me, and Michael usually fall asleep during your films. <laughs> I did put a yes. film on last night that you fell asleep in. Yes, but that wasn't necessarily strict. That was our choice. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't put it in the program. But yeah, yeah um, so but usually thing, I fall asleep well, during your thing, films. Like, I must kind of put as a caveat yeah. in there that usually by the time the festival is wrapping up, I'm yeah. quite drunk and tired. Yeah, that's also probably a good caveat to put in now. Yeah, as we, should, we are um, recording, we, we have yeah. we're currently drinking some. Lovely slam dunk cocktails. Well, it's Southern Comfort because we've watched, yeah. just watched a film called Southern. What, Michael, can you explain? Well, one of the ones that we're going to be talking about mm-hmm. uh, was the end of the podcast. It'd be Bill's choice. Bill chose the Walter Hill film Southern Comfort. So we have just finished watching that, and we have been drinking a nice, a nice Southern Comfort uh, cocktail, which we can explain yeah. <laughs> when we when we get there. Um, but let's start with then. Okay, very good. Let's start with In the Earth. So yes. this is. 
Ben Wheatley. This is the latest folk horror from Ben Wheatley, uh, director, of course, behind gems such as Kill List, Sightseers, Field in England, High Rise. It stars Joel Fry, Reese Shearsmith, Hayley Squires. This came out in the UK in July of this year, but a very odd theatrical release. Um, which So we weren't able to... <laughs> none, of, none of us were able to catch it anywhere near us at the time. Uh, so we've got a copy of the newly released DVD. Uh, well, we, we, legitimately, we didn't get it pirated. No, we got it from, from Cinema, Cinema Paradiso. Paradiso. Yeah, and if you're, Cinema Paradiso, if which you're, if you want a 30-day free trial... Yeah, you got it, you got it. 30-day free trial. You just go to the website, cinemaparadiso.co.uk, and use the code CREAKYCHAIR21. Thank you. Capital C on Creaky, capital C on Chair. Fantastic. And you too can watch In the Air. Yeah, great. And and then find out what we'd like about it or didn't like, Michael. Actually, maybe wait until we've talked about it and then make your decisions as to whether (laughs) you want to. No, 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 disregard whatever we say, because it doesn't matter. Make your own choice. We're only here just to chat to you. I mean, do you actually care? (laughs) Let's probably get too meta. Okay, no, that's going to be the sound of thousands of podcasts being turned <laughs> off right there. Do I care? No, I don't actually. Done. So the plot, uh, so Martin Lowry, played by Joel Fry, is a scientist who is sent to a government-controlled facility in a large forest, which we're told is somewhere near Bristol, uh, to, visit, to visit and help with some experiments into crop efficiency. And there is some kind of pandemic, we assume. We're never given the details. There's some sort of pandemic that has... What's one uh, of those? <laughs> yes, well, um, a lot of hand sanitizing in that movie. There's been some sort of lockdown. People have been in isolation for a long time. Uh, so Martin is led into the forest by Elmer, played by Alora Torsia. Um, when they come across Zach, played by Ben Wheatley favorite Reese Smith, Reese Shearsmith, who has set up this kind of makeshift camp in the wilderness, and he, you know, he then informs them of his attempts to commune with uh, Pani Fe- a look it's never made clear in the film I think everyone in the film pronounces it differently as well I don't think it matters too much which is some local legend about a really unpronounceable yeah a local legend about some woodland spirit yeah and Reese Smith takes us of great photos as well remember don't forget to mention that just saying so what did we what do we think about in the earth who wants to start off Bill you fire off give me a hot take okay yeah and well Ben Wheatley, he always has a great sense of place. I, I, I always think that. Um, he always he always sets it up beautifully. And this one was a lot slower for me. It 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 it, it took a little while for me to get into the 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 plot of it. And um, I would say I would say the three main leads were quite engaging. I was I was mm. quite interested into where they were going. But I wasn't that interested in the plot until it started to get a little bit more violent, which... <laughs> until which you saw does. some close-ups yeah, yeah. of some wounds. Yeah, well, I would say this, like, Quentin Tarantino would hate this film, and there's a lot of violence to feat. Yes. Yeah, a lot of like, violence. Like, I struggled, I struggled. Like, I'm a, I'm a massive wuss. I'm a massive wuss when it comes to this, but I have to say... There are moments in this film which I could not watch. I could not watch it. A lot of wound details. Lingering lingering close-ups as well. I know. I don't know. Like, I, you know, if you have a splinter or something, it's it's pesh. But if you have a splinter in your foot, oh god, oh god. You know, yeah. And um, uh, no spoilers, but it was it was rough going. And um, I could I could 
sort of understand what the um, the, the thrust of it was um, about nature and um, and in the it was quite close to home about there was a lot of things about um, uh, testing and quarantining and keeping distance. Yeah, people. keeping your distance. You have to do that lateral flight like, yeah, test. Yeah, yeah, and, and and that was never fully explained, and that that was great. And I think I think there'll be a lot more films that are to do with that coming coming soon but this is the first film that i've seen which actually was dealing with it and i wasn't massively interested in that because well we 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 see that every day on the news so i wasn't mm-hmm. i wasn't hugely interested in that what i was more interested in was reese shearsmith being mental yes um and i think in the second act when he appears loved it absolutely yeah. loved mm-hmm. it and it, it was a film of fits and bursts for me in the there was there was there was like half an hour uh, pockets where I was thinking really enjoying this absolutely and then it just it just it peeled back and well Ben Wheatley is a is a astounding filmmaker I, I honestly think he's he's brilliant he's brilliant and he obviously was making this um, with a lower budget I don't I don't it didn't hang together as well as his and many other films he's done before. For me, mm-hmm. for me, um, it didn't. It didn't make total sense. It didn't. It, it created a a vibe, but it didn't create a vibe that was massively scary for me. The only times I had a massively visceral reaction was the, and I have to say the the makeup and the FS the visual effects, um, yeah, of the of of various wounds and things were absolutely horrifying and i could not stand it i couldn't stand it i'm a, I'm a wuss anyway but i was watching it with with my good friends who are who you know they, they love the horrors and things but all of us all of us were hiding in our hands and it was it was awful and and i have to say that is that's that's good filmmaking that is good filmmaking and yeah gore is gore but it also has it has to have a a massive lead up and it's not going to make the same visceral reaction unless you've got a good actor behind it. Whereas Reece Shearsmith is a, is an absolute monster, and uh, and so I, I really think he was absolutely fantastic. Every time he appeared on screen, I was electrified and and scared and not relaxed at all. Looking like a bit of like a grizzled Robert Plant, <laughs> which, which which is terrifying. Yeah, um, yeah. I I think I think. Ben Wheatley, it's one of those filmmakers that makes you think that maybe I don't understand it. Maybe I'm not, you know, I'm not clever enough. I don't know. You I, know think, what? I think you're giving a bit too much. You're doing your, both yourself a disservice. Oh, I'd had ben a lot Wheatley to drink. Bit, ben Wheatley had a bit too much of a service. I don't think there was that much intellectually going on with this film. I think it was, it was exploring some interesting ideas, but I yeah. don't think, I think the pandemic hook was, was just that, was a hook, and it wasn't really dealt with in as... But was there not this, not more going on with like the nature and? Yeah, I think there's a lot more. Yeah, and there is obviously that interesting stuff there that's going on with like a connection, communicating with nature, nature being this unifying uh, kind of whole system type mm. thing. But I don't know. I kind of feel like that's it was dealt with in very broad strokes, wasn't it? It wasn't really yeah. dealt with on a. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you I don't think that. this was a particularly intellectual film. I, I, I think this was. For me, I think this was a bit of a back step for Ben Wheatley, and I think this was... If you consider that his last film was High Rise, which was a, a big enough project, wasn't it? It was quite high budget, it looked like. Yeah. It looked like it had a quite a big budget. It was quite a, like a big project, big stars in it. Um, it looked very glossy. It got a big 
promotional campaign and they've got a big release. Mm. This feels a bit more like kind of it's like a it's like a it's like a kid brother to Field in England. We like. did yeah, um, he did Free similar. Fire as well, which was I thought was fantastic. Um, That's a big cast, Free Fire. But it was, as well. it's a, a, an amazing cast, and it was just an action film. There was there was nothing below the surface yeah. sort of thing. It was just it was a shoot em up characters kind of like shoot 'em up, and I I thought it was an absolute tour de force. Oh, it's thing. great! I really like Free um, Fire, but it's nothing that's going to stay with you, sort of thing. I mean, it speaks volumes that you kind of have sort of forgotten about it until it's now been mentioned. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had a great time watching Free Fire. Yeah, yeah, but... yeah, yeah. But it's a Friday night. It's a Friday night film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I enjoyed this. I did enjoy it. I agree with pretty much everything that you said. The squirm-inducing moments. I like the section where Rishi Smith appears and then he goes through a sort of as a reveal of his character without giving too much away. That was enjoyable. Well, and there was some, and there more was some, of that? Did you yeah, I did. And, that, and, yeah. But there was some funny, there was some funny moments. There was some moments yeah. where oh, yeah. we were, we yeah. were yeah. laughing yeah. out loud. Genuine lols. Yeah. I like yeah. the, the Clint Mansell did the kind of the sort of ambient electronic score. I did stuff like that. You've got to agree with that with, the, with Ben. Um, I think, sorry to interrupt, but um, I think he's absolutely fantastic about naturalistic dialogue. I don't yeah. know how he does it. Like, I, it's very funny and very, mm. very... I don't want to say the word bland, but it's very ordinary. Well, the thing is, well, like, I was just going to say, they say that about is... the Joel Fry's character, the main character, was so bland, wasn't it? Very it was bland. So, it was a refreshingly but bland... Make that, does that make <laughs> that so much more funny and so much yeah. more horrific as well when, when horrible things happen? It makes it more It makes it more visceral because you said no... Well, like, if, if anything, I almost feel like, as like you've obviously mentioned how dope Reese Shearsmith is and how good he is in this and I almost kind of feel like Reese Shearsmith was too good because it meant that everyone else around him like they were quite bland yeah because and I know like they were I get the feeling they're trying to do this kind of like very naturalistic and very like these are just regular people that are trying to go about their lives but Reese Shearsmith is so good and so magnetic that like when he wasn't on screen I was kind of being like Where's my shit? You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And like it was yeah. good, and like a lot of those, like there was a lot of funny moments and a lot of really like good naturalistic acting. <laughs> but it was the those characters that weren't Reese Smith. I was a bit like, yeah. You don't want to. You don't want to spoil like certain moments and lines. But we we talked about it while it was going on. Which like we were saying like this doesn't feel like a script because yeah. of, because of what. Rishi Smith was saying at certain points it was just yeah. it, it was it was really really unsettling but unsettling like, and funny as well yeah. and I, I love that about like I love that about um, Ben Wheatley like you, you know you love like Sightseers and, and and Free Fire and all all the all the the amazing films he's done in the past he's he's got such a talent for for having these outlandish stories which then just go back down to earth with with a single line there is a part of me though that kind of feels like were those bits supposed to be funny because there was certain bits where i was like i obviously feel like you've created this sort of situation where you're supposed to be a little bit unsettled and a bit scared and a bit on edge and it was funny and i was like am i supposed because i i i loved that i did find it funny but you know there's that thought in back of your head you think about something like kill list where like the moments that you find funny you kind of know that you're supposed yeah, to find those funny. Yeah, maybe you're fucked in the head. Like maybe that's like normal people would be like, "That's horrific." It looked great. The visuals are oh, fantastic. Amazing. I mean, I love, you know, I love kind of woodland and forests and all that. Anyway, so I think when you get I, them, I like, right, I prefer concrete. Michael loves being outside. I prefer yeah. uh, the M1. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I think that you know the, the way he was shooting, the way he was using the light was really good. But the problem is, I think, and I, I this is, goes back to what I thought about the field in England is that it's a good idea with some interesting visual effects, especially in the hallucinogenic sequence. But it kind of it doesn't really kind of hang well, together. Let's, let's, not a, it doesn't really it's not really satisfying. Me and as me as and a, Mitchell, me and Mitchell had an argument around. about this earlier, and I don't want to get too into it. But um, editors. Editors, like I do think, the band. N- n- no, no, no. Like I, t- I do, I do think that. Like I, I was saying this about, and um, and we'll talk about the next film as well. But I, I do feel this film, it it wasn't tight enough. It no. didn't. It didn't. And and I'm not saying I'm not saying that every film has to be sub two hours or whatever. But I'm saying that there there are. Do, do you want do you want it to be a horror? Do you want it to be a horror? Because a horror for me. Has to be tighter. I, I think for this, the problem wasn't so much the editing and the runtime. It's actually not that long a film. It's just there isn't that much actual substance. There's not that actual enough There's, meat. In were you yeah, interested? Absolutely. Were you interested yeah. enough uh, for me as well? Were you interested enough with the main character? I he was a also, nice guy, and he he, just... he he mashed his toes in, and that was bad. But it really... works. It works for like fucking John McClane in Die Hard, but it doesn't work for a fucking horror. I. Also, didn't really know or care what was going on. Right. I think all the Reese Shearsmith stuff where, you know, again, we've we've talked a lot about how good Reese Shearsmith is, obviously. But there came a certain point where obviously they were trying to explain the purpose of what was happening and what was going on and like what what the experiments were and what was happening. And I was stuck in this kind of like no man's land of like, I don't quite get what's going on, but I also don't really care. And I think that kind of, for me, comes down to those quite bland characters yeah. that made that di- the naturalistic dialogue work really well, and made that it's sort of like right. made that stuff like really pop. Those like the scenes that we've been talking about, where like you were laughing and having a good time, but it then made the stuff where they had to carry the weight of the story drop off for me. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I I totally think you're right on that one. I, I, you actually look back on like what are our favourite horror films, which we'll probably do a podcast in the future. Um, it actually comes down to, like, do I actually care? Yeah. Um, if you don't give a shit about the characters or yeah. the story, yeah. what are you there for? Yeah. For me, I sort of, I, I kind of, as I say, I think I expect a bit more from Ben Wheelie at this point. Like, coming off, I think... <laughs> you sound like his teacher, which I really like. Ben! You can do better. Can, I think he can do better than this, actually. He has I, done I better. He, I, I, he, he has, has done, done better. But the thing is, like, as I say, like he's done his kind of experimental, drug-influenced kind of nature film. He did that with Field in England. And this would be, yeah, if he was doing this as a follow-up, mm. fair enough. You know, you say, like, you do... I think after High Rise, I think he's kind of, he should be, he should be stepping up his game. He should be stepping up his game. And I think plot is a huge part of that. And this, this was... Just a bit too experimental. But he's never been—he's never been a director that's massively into like dialogue or um, you know development into that, has he? What do you mean? Has he has he ever been a director that's actually gonna be like, oh, let's get a load of people together in a room and let them talk it out? Not particularly. No, I think like, like, films where that's. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying that it's, it's a very different. Ben Wheatley's not making Twelve Angry Men. Yes, you know? exactly. He's like. What I'm saying is, I don't think I don't think that's what he's doing. Well, no, but I mean, I am saying this is still a young director, still quite early on in his career. For for him to get to take the next step up, do you know what he's doing next? I don't know what he's doing next. The Meg Two is a massive shark. 
I mean, the Meg one was sick. I had a good yeah, time with the Meg one. Great, yeah, actually. I loved the I Meg really one. Cheers. Um, yeah, so it's Jason Statham with a massive shark. I got a lot of time for Ben Wheatley, and I really want... I think he's a cracking filmmaker, and I there is parts of this that I really, really liked. But there is part of me that I'm like, maybe in watching it again, I might get a little bit more out of it. But if you think about Field in England... Obviously, it looks amazing and he's really good. But there's Michael Smiley, Reese Shearsmith. There's good actors, like, holding it together. And I just cannot get away with this film. Sorry to those actors, but they were quite boring, apart from Reese Shearsmith, <laughs> you know? Uh, okay, so that's In the Earth. Reasonably kind of average. Yes, reasonably positive. Wavering fingers, I think. It's that classic thing of, like, if you like Ben Wheatley's films, it's definitely yeah, worth checking it's out. It's not a bad film, no. And that no. you'll definitely have some good times. Yeah, yeah. yeah Fair play. Although, if you're a bit squeamish. Uh, yeah, yeah, don't. If you like feet, like Quentin Tarantino, but if you like lingering close-ups of wounds, yeah. you're gonna have a good time. I mean, you should probably stop listening to this podcast. I don't, I don't want you as a listener. <laughs> I do. I know he does. Right. Okay. So that's it's in the weird. Uh, the DVD Blu-ray has, has just been released. So. Uh, okay. So then, what we've done with our uh, our usual sort of curation uh, of our festival is we each pick a film uh, and. Yeah, we all we all watch it. It was it was um, your choice first, wasn't it, Michael? It was my choice first, exactly. and I picked a film that I have not actually seen before, um, but have read lots about. And this is a film called The Keep. Yes, uh, Michael Mann film from nineteen eighty three. It's a Nazi gothic horror film. I say it's a Nazi film. It's got Nazi. Wait, it's a uh, Nazi. There's loads of Nazis in it. Yeah, but I wouldn't say it's not like a Nazi. It's not like fucking funded by them. That you know of. <laughs> It's a gothic horror film about Nazis. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's about a, a squadron of Nazis who, uh, following the commencement of uh, the 1941 invasion of the USSR, are assigned to guard a Romanian castle in the Carpathian Mountains. Uh, and when they, when they start going around this castle, they note that the walls on the inside are thicker than they are on the outside yes. because it is designed to keep, not to keep people out, but to keep something in. Oh! And, Watch out. Uh, but they, unwit- they unwittingly release a demonic creature known as Radu Malassa, which has been trapped within the castle walls, which proceeds to then kill the soldiers in strange, gruesome ways. Uh, and this stars Scott Glenn, Ian McKellen, Gabriel Byrne. It's a notorious failure of a film in that it has become something of a sort of cult gem in, because of, or you know, as a result of its, its famously troubled production. So... Michael Mann originally made a three and a half hour version of this film, which had gone way over budget. Uh, and after some negative test screenings, Paramount insisted that he cut it back to 96 minutes, which is a brutal edit, resulting in all sorts of problems with continuity, sound design, plot holes, etc. Yeah. There'd been also been a compounded problem that two weeks into its post-production, the visual effects supervisor, Wally Verhees, Wally Ververs. What a Wally. Wally Verbers died. Oh, uh, um, no, I shouldn't have said that, Jake. No, no one, and no one knew how he planned to finish uh, the visual effects, uh, especially the original ending. So, Ooh. as a result, there were several new endings that had to be filmed when most of the crew and the original cinematographer had left. So, a fairly chaotic, a fairly disastrous production. Uh, the original score by Tangerine Dream, uh, similarly troubled history, had long been unavailable until very recently, actually. Um, and all sorts of bootleg versions circulating that all purported to be uh, the true soundtrack. I would also say this has a fantastic poster. Oh. And I'll just, I'll just read you the, uh, the little blurb that's on the poster. Here. They were all drawn to the keep. The soldiers who brought death, the father and daughter fighting for life. Nice. 
the people who have always feared it, and the one man who knows its secret. Tonight, they will all face the evil. It's not exactly like... <laughs> it's not exactly pithy, though, is it? It's not pithy. Yeah, it's a very lengthy tagline. <laughs> yeah. But it does also give you a good idea... Give yourself a good idea of what you're getting yourself yeah, in for. Yeah, I, I, I want to shorten it, but anyway. What did you think, Sam? I am ultimately very intrigued as to what the three-hour cut would have been like because... <laughs> We talked about this a lot as we were watching it, but it felt like there were some scenes that went on for probably ages. And I just don't like understand exactly how the film was dragged out to three hours. Maybe it was just loads of shots of dry ice that he had to cut, sadly. Michaelman. Um, Michaelman. I think there's a really good film in The Keep, but The Keep doesn't quite get it right, I don't think. There's some really good bits. It's a really cracking concept. Everyone... like. I think everyone's really putting their effort into it, but I don't know, and I can't quite put my finger on it. I'm, obviously, this is our hot, hot, fresh opinion. But <laughs> I've only watched the film a couple of hours ago, so it's not quite had time to percolate. But I don't quite know what didn't work for me, but I don't think it fully worked. There's a lot of great stuff, and maybe who knows? Perhaps the three-hour edit does have some stuff that's going to make all of that kind of make sense to me. But there's a lot of there's. A, really fun kind of silly visual effects like the demon that's stuck in the keep whilst it is quite silly and quite 80s was lots of fun i really enjoyed that ian mckellen is on top form he's doing really well gabriel burns got terrible hair that's really good (laughs) so there's a lot of the haircuts lots of lots of there's 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 the perm isn't there there's some lids yeah ian mckellen's slicked white back hair like i think it's the film to me was a bit messy I felt like there was a lot of stuff that, a lot of balls that had been thrown in the air that weren't being <laughs> juggled as well as they could have been. Yeah. I think the idea of like a supernatural sci-fi kind of horror film set in the time and the space that it is featuring loads of Nazis getting their heads popped off could have been something really great, could have been something really, really yeah. solid. And it is, a gr- I had a good time watching it and I'm really glad that we did see it. But I just... I can't quite put my finger on it. Maybe you guys will have some good thoughts that I can kind of then piggyback Probably on and go, not. oh, that makes sense. But <laughs> I'm just struggling to work out exactly what didn't fit because a lot of it worked. And it's one of those classic things of like when it worked, like we talked about with In the Earth, when it worked, I was like, here we go. This is working. Let's keep going. And then I was just like, oh, mm, mm, mm. Well, thing is, it's not it's not a horror film, is it? It's not scary. It's, it's So yeah. it's kind of, it's... Yeah. it's it's falling down on nah. in terms of genre expectations, and I agree. It, yeah, messy is the word for it, isn't it? It is messy. It's completely, it's kind of all over the place. Three and a half hours would be ludicrous for this film, but it definitely feels like this needed to have a proper edit and a proper <laughs> polish. Yeah, and to have a, an ending that was maybe done by the original <laughs> the original crew would might have been good. I, I, I mean, there's a reason why Michael Mann so Michael Mann kind of disavows this now, doesn't he? Sort of wash his hands. How old was he? How old was he? Young. I mean, so this is after Thief, isn't it? And but pre. It was like he was a young so, man. He was a young man. Yeah. So like I a young Michaelman. I think we can judge him too harshly. Though we've all made mistakes when we're younger. Yeah, and none of my mistakes involve Gabriel Byrne. So <laughs> you know, on, it's, it's a fun film. It looked, you know, I like the, the visual style of it, and obviously, it's lots of it's got that nice gothic element to it. It's lots of nice mountain shots, and there's loads of dry ice. The dry ice. Oh, like most of the budget. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's hiding a lot. You suspect, um, and 
yeah, the, there was, there's just a lot of promise in it. It's interesting. It's a curiosity of a film, and I guess if you're yeah, if you're on the mind, if you if you've heard about it, if you're intrigued by the poster, and you think, oh, this looks like good fun, you're not going to be disappointed. I, I would. It kind of drags a little bit for the hour and a half. It's only an hour and a half, and it does. Yeah, there's some lingering shots that could have been shaved down, but that guy's that guy's neck gets really fat though. That was fun. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's true. Yeah, Scott Glenn's neck grows. I mean, there's some interesting. So there's obviously quite interesting subtext about the symbolism of you know the Nazis unleashing this demonic force, which is obviously a kind of allegory for the sort of fascism that they were unleashing across across Europe. So there's these kind of interesting themes, and there's there's, there's a good film that you that you sense could have been. Wrangled out. Of I this. totally agree. I totally agree with you. You know, the, it was it was all based on the the Jewish like um, the golem sort of thing, and uh, and, yeah. it, it, and it's a really interesting story because I I think if they'd have leaned more into, I want an evil force to destroy this evil force, which was Nazism. You know, but that was a very interesting story, but. I don't know. I, th- I think I think it came too early in Michael Mann's career. There was no sense of place either. There was no sense of place. Every time we were we were giving establishing shots in the Carpathian Mountains, it was always very closed in. Mm. We had no. I, I had no idea watching it where I was. Mm. Absolutely no idea. Well, you don't actually see the key. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was literally just a just a cross, and you know, I I, I assume that was a a decision that he made, but it didn't work for me. It didn't mm. work for me, and also some of the characters they weren't just fleshed out. They weren't yeah. fleshed out at all for me, and it, it felt like he was he was trying to have his cake and eat it with 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 trying to just spread himself too thin for it. Because we had we had the the honourable German commandant, we had the SS officer, we had the um, the uh, the daughter of the the Jewish um, medieval historian, medieval historian that had been put in a camp, and we had the medieval historian that had been put in a camp, and we had the priest, and we it was too much, it was too much, and there was no there was no thorough line for me at all. Early early shots of um, Nazi stormtroopers rolling in with their tanks into the Carpathian Mountains, and it was very, very close. So I was like thinking, this could be quite scary. Well, obviously, Michael Mann is a fantastic director, but I think it came too soon. I think it came too soon. And then, you know, you've got you've got Ian McKellen there, who obviously is a fantastic actor, and um, I think he was a little bit wasted in this. And then mm. Scott Glenn, what the fuck was going on there? I mean, also, but, fun fact, it's really... really hard to care about what happens to Nazis. Yeah. Because a lot of the film yeah. is kind of predicated yeah. on this idea that, like, yeah. all the Nazis that are looking after this, well, Occupying this keep yeah. are being murdered, and you're like, "Good, you're totally right, good, you're totally right." I'm happy that these Nazis are being murdered. But then Das Boot did it, and it had the same fucking guy. Das, das Boot is yeah. the exception that proves the rule. So, so sorry, and um, I'm not explaining this why, but the the, the, the guy that was the guy was in charge of the submarine in Das Boot is also in charge of the keep. Interesting. He's also in June as well. Oh, in June, yes. good. Yeah, he's a good, he's a good, good actor. Good go. pedigree. Yeah, yeah, but, pedigree. But, you know, yeah, there we go. There we go. There we so, go. I hated so, it. I hated it. <laughs> no, so the keep a curiosity. I think you know. We watched that on uh, Amazon Prime. Yes, we did. Which you can get. Uh, let's go on to Sam's choice. Mm. Uh, Sam, tell us about your choice. I do. I do want to tell you about my choice. Um, I obviously 
love love myself love love me a bit of silent comedy, love me a bit of silent movies. So I thought after the films that we that you two had both gone for, yeah, I thought we needed something a little bit more bright, a bit with a little bit of levity, also a bit shorter, you know, because obviously we've got time is of the essence. We've got to record this bloody podcast, you know. We've got we've got a lot on our plates. People so, are passing out. Yeah, tough is happening. Stuff is happening. Gosh, weird. Um, so I went for Buster Keaton's nineteen twenty four classic uh, Sherlock Junior, which is a, a succinct forty five minutes, a really a really short, snappy. That a film for me is. An absolute perfect, perfect film. It's a really, really simple story about um, Buster Keaton's character who works at a cinema as a movie projectionist, um, but he's like wants to be an amateur detective. He's an amateur sleuth. He he falls in love with um, a woman who he wants to buy lovely chocolates for, and he wants to engage. But then he gets framed by a guy that looks like Boise from Only Fools and Horses um, into thinking that he's, he's stolen. He's making the plot far more complicated than it actually is. Yeah, basically, it's just <laughs> 45 minutes of Buster Keaton doing some great stunts it's, and some great visual gags. <laughs> great visual gags. Yeah, like a lot of silent comedies, the plot is not really that relevant to what's going on. It's just an well, excuse I for... It's just metaphysical. I mean, he does go into... You see his don't, dreams. It's like Inception. You know? Inception. Well, I, d- I was wondering when I was watching this, when when would the first time have been in cinema that you had characters stepping into and out of a cinema screen? Because you think at that point, it's That's still such question. a new technology. Mm-hmm. And that would, that would probably, I'd imagine, have been quite surprising, quite shocking, quite probably hard to understand as an audience. Yeah. And I wonder whether that's, I dare say, it's one of the very first times that you're maybe. breaking the fourth wall in that way, sort of creating that kind of dream. Well, maybe. Know, dream, uh, maybe. But I think, like, the I, I'm not enough of a kind of silent film historian to know the answer to that question, but I think the thing that I really like about Buster Keaton's films, and that idea, obviously, in the 1920s, would have been a bit like, what's going on? I don't really understand what I'm supposed to be Man, seeing it was, here. It was fucked up in 2020, whatever we are. 2021, but I think what he does so well is that he makes it very, very simple and very, very easy to follow. You have this really great shot of, like, he is sad, he goes and sits in the projection booth, he falls asleep, and then you see him kind of, he's asleep, and then you see this, like, ghostly dream version of him stand up and go into the film. And it's very kind of, like, slow and simple and really kind of, like, slowly pulls you into what's going on in a way that I think even if you somebody had never seen that sort of thing at the time, I feel like it's quite easy to see and to understand. Tell us about some of the stunts. Then. This film, Sherlock Jr., um, is famous for having a stunt in it where um, Buster Keaton broke his neck. Um, so there's obviously Buster Keaton, very famous for doing these big, insane, massive stunts. And there's a bit in this where he's running across the top of a locomotive, pulls onto the uh, little spout near the water tower. The water jet blasts him onto the tracks. <laughs> he fell on the tracks, broke his neck, and didn't realise until he was at a doctor's checkup, like 10 years later, complaining about headaches. And the doctor went, that's probably as a result of that time you broke your neck. And he's like, I don't remember ever breaking my neck. It's that's insane. And dedication. This, this film, I think, is a great, great showcase of Buster Keaton's prowess as a stunt performer. Somebody that, you know, I don't think we've really talked about that much in this podcast, but like something that you can see in the work of people like Jackie Chan. These incredibly, like, like Buster Keaton is the ultimate kind of, like, 
physically incredible, great gymnast, great stuntman, but also creates these situations that are inherently very, very funny. Well, we were and, talking about this earlier. I don't think there is a analogous um, example of it. Like we talk about Jackie Chan, we talk about Yuki Uus with the raid. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it they the rules that come into like stunt performing now. There is there is no way. Like I was watching, I was watching this film, and it was. Like, I enjoyed it, and I was finding it very funny, but I was also a little bit fucking horrified because, like, he could have died so many times. And well, there's a sequence, there's a sequence, isn't there, where part of the dream sequence where he is riding on the handlebars yeah. uh, on the motorbike. Yeah. And there's a series so how, of incredible kind of shots where he's going over bridges and over... How, just like, how do you... cartoonish, but, yeah, but how you realize, do you actually... It's a real, real person, life. person there. There's like a... And like, uh, don't get me wrong, it's it's hilarious. And I, I find it very, 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 very funny. But it's also... There's, there's certain things where a locomotive is going at full speed and he has to dodge at the last second to get away from it and you know it's it's but i think that's the interesting thing is like these films and like buster keaton like had his own studio and he was making these films as he wanted to and as he wanted to do them so you get these scenes where obviously they look effortless and it looks like the one where he's on he the little barrier leans down on that and ends up in the car after jumping off the roof sort of thing they look effortless and they look like he did that in one take and was done and home for the day sort of thing but the reason they look so effortless and the reason it looks as good as it does is because he had the time. There was nobody leaning over his shoulder going like, come on, we're running over budget. We've got to wrap this up. There was no one there. He could just do these things over and over and over. The master. And over again until it was absolutely perfect. And obviously Buster Keaton was super involved in the writing, the directing, and obviously the acting as well. So he would look at what he was doing and go, right, this needs to look this perfect. Otherwise, the joke doesn't work. Think of the scene with like all the him playing yeah. billiards. Yeah. That only works because it looks so effortless and it looks so like that he's not trying at all. That's the only reason that scene works. It is really funny. Yeah, scene, isn't there, where you said, didn't you tell the son that he insisted that he shoot all of that like naturally so that he'd actually yeah, I mean, done all of that? But I don't know how skilled that was. I don't, I don't, well, I mean, can't have been that skilled at all. Have you seen that scene? That's ridiculous. But again, this is exactly the sort of thing that like Buster Keaton was known for doing, and that like he would obviously didn't want to use stunt doubles, didn't want to like do any like trickery unless if he could avoid it. So wanted yeah. to be like, if I'm going to do a scene where I'm incredible at playing billiards, I need to yeah. learn how to be incredible at this. And if this takes fucking four days to do, it takes four days to do. And what I, think- I will say, what I will say is, and we were talking about it today, is that he. Even like looking back, and I don't know a lot about Buster, um, Lad obviously does, but he always had the funniest moment in his head. In the, yeah. in the, if um, if I look slightly ridiculous, if I'm looking smaller, if my hair looks silly, if I if I look um, a little bit like kind of like fucking like an octopus or whatever, it's it's he was always always looking for what would be the funniest image. And and that's that's why I was, when I was watching this film, which I've never seen before, you could you could just see it. You could just see it going. This is a guy that was just looking, going, what would be the thing that's going to give the audience a laugh? Precisely. And and and, and it doesn't matter. And and that's that's it's kind of beautiful. Like not, not to get too emotional, but it's it's kind of timeless, isn't it? It is yeah. like you look at like true true movie stars on that one. 
And, and there is something ineffable on that one. And then they, they know what they're doing and they know what we need to do to entertain. Also, it's, it's, just, it's beautiful. It's, it's just beautiful. dawning on me now. Yes. That film was made in 1924, which is nearly a 100, 100 years, years ago. Old. Isn't that wild? Yeah. And I think, again, it totally, I mean, I'm a huge silent comedy fan and obviously I'll defend it to the hilt. Yeah, but the guy but leapt speaks... through a window and kicked a guy in the well, dick. Well, and also, precisely. And, uh, well, and also, there's a lot of the stunts in this 45 minute film are incredible but there's one particular scene where we had to rewind it a couple of times and still yeah, well, we, 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 we don't know we don't yeah you're totally right we, uh, not a clue not a and clue I'm sure, I'm sure the internet would be able yeah, to tell yeah, us yeah, but it's they'll, fun they'll, to... know, they'll know how to do it but and I think it, it totally speaks <laughs> you volumes die. You that die. this film is nearly 100 years old yeah. and yet we watched it today and yeah. had a great time yeah. and it's full of jokes yeah. full of great gags and full of stuff that you can see like see that people have been influenced by and see that yeah. like, and I just, I feel like for me, Sherlock Jr. is a perfect film. Last, perfect last, film. last word on this, Sam, how does it, as, as a big Buster Keaton fan, where does it sort of sit for you? And so, you so obviously you talked on, right back on episode two, you, you talked about uh, The General. Where does it sort of sit for you in terms of his, his other masterpieces? I feel like this is very much gold standard Buster Keaton. I'm pretty sure this is but this is going to be easy top 5 territory, maybe top 3 territory. I just think it's 45 minutes. It's so tight. It's so perfect. Everything just moves along at a great lick. And we were talking about it during the film like there's even just small little jokes in the background or like his hair's a bit messed up at one point or like That's when bad. they're um, flirting and they're just slapping each other's hands. Like it's a perfect little film and it's a perfect slice of comedy. It's definitely ugh, I'd definitely say it's, it's in the top three Buster Keaton films. And I just, I don't know. I've got nothing but Would love Would you say, it. so was that Buster at the top of his powers? This or? this is Buster Keaton. Like, the 20s. Yeah. Because he made this in 1924 and Steamboat Bill Jr., the one where the house falls on yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was 1928. And the general was 1926. So this is this golden was, this period. Was, this was the... Yeah. This is him kind of, it's the master of his art. He was just like drop houses and... There was there was other films in between those ones. Because like Buster Keaton was just making sure, films yeah. happen. Or, and this is one of the first ones that he did after like making the transition from shorts to long, to longs, from shorts to trousers, you know. Because um, <laughs> he was making these like 20 minute... you transition. I'm just wearing shorts right now. Um, yeah, I just... <laughs> I've got n- I've got nothing but time for it, nothing but love for it, and as much as I've enjoyed all the other films today, Sherlock Junior <laughs> blows them all out of the water. Brilliant! And so Lovely. you have this on on DVD. I feel like there's a lot of quite nice box set. There, there is some really good. They, um, Eureka Masters of Cinema Collection have put out some really nice Buster Keatons on Blu-ray. I'm pretty sure though you could maybe find this on YouTube. My only caveat would be if you're looking for this. Soundtrack is so important. Yeah. Like soundtrack is so important. You can find some versions on YouTube where you're going to get some dog shit music in the background that's not going to make it work as well. It'll still look good. Still have some good scenes, but need to make sure you're finding like a good version of it to fully, fully enjoy it. It's on Blu-ray. It's on DVD. You'll be able to find it. It'll be yeah. just do you do yourself a favour. Do yourself <laughs> a favour. Also, it's forty-five minutes. That's like one episode of like one episode of Squid by. Game. What Sherlock do? It flew by. Uh, okay, so, and finally, uh, Bill, yes. what are you going to tell us about uh, your film selection? Mm-hmm. So I chose, um, I, I, I chose Southern Comfort, which was Walter Hill, um, which at the time of its release was... Which was when? 
82? 81. Oh, 40 shit, I got it wrong. Oh, 40th anniversary today. Oh, Congratulations. Dear, dear. Thank you, thank you very much. I, I had nothing to do with it. Um, it, it, was, it was disregarded as a um, deliverance rip-off. I actually think this is a fantastic film. Um, it was an allegory. It's an allegory of the Vietnam War. And, um, and it's also like a entire storyline about, about the fact that America just doesn't work. Um, <laughs> well, it doesn't. It doesn't. Does it? Uh, can it beat about the bush? It doesn't. Can anyone work. actually say that America's going to fucking work right now? No, fuck it. Does it fuck? <laughs> uh, <laughs> does it fuck? What's I, the storyline? Uh, well, the storyline is a, um, a National Guard unit is sent to Louisiana for a, um, a basic um, war game sort of situation and they make a mistake and then some Cajuns start hunting them. Or do they? And I think this film. This film really, really gets the nub of the matter about about Vietnam in that it's a mess. It's confusing. It is a a, a multitude of different personalities and views all coming to the fore and then a, a, a enemy that you don't fully understand. Or and see. I, or see. Or see. And I think it... Also inhospitable terrain because they're out of their depth, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, it's it's... You watch this film and you can tell that it's an uncomfortable film to watch. But I don't want to really get into that because I actually think it's an incredibly enjoyable film as well. The characters are incredibly dislikable. Yeah, very um, dislikable. And, and you don't want any of them to succeed. But then by the time the last 10 minutes come along and the music starts playing... Well, then, but, it, but it's got that wonderful, that dialogue between essentially unlikable and flawed characters that you find in Walter Hill's The Warriors, and you also find in Aliens as well, you know, it's kind of quite, and, and Alien as well, which Walter Hill was uncredited. Yeah, but you know, so, but there's, there's a lot of it, so the dialogue is really good, and it is, but I think it's important that, that it's about those kind of, those male relationships and the, kind of the military institution, where like we were saying, you know, it's about hierarchy. It's about them following orders and why you would follow orders in those situations when, you know, they're making terrible decisions. And mm. it's, it's, we talked about this. We talked about this as we were watching it um, in the, these are, you know, there's Powers Booth in it and there's Keith Carradine and they're, they're incredibly manly men. And you think, could, could I, as a incredibly effeminate man, actually follow orders on this sort of thing? And, and this is, this is the central tenet of it in that it was it was about the actual putting into pull into an actual military structure which is inherently ridiculous in my opinion and and I I, I really found it an interesting film and it it, pa- it panned when it was out and it's shot in Louisiana and um well the the background of it it was it was a horrific shoot and if you watch it well when we watched it you were you were sat there most of the time going oh that must have been absolutely fucking pesh to shoot because most of the time they are sodden with water aren't they so (laughs) there's just so like scene after scene after scene of them tramping through water like up to their like shins and I just I can't get over the feeling of like their socks must have been like never dry. <laughs> I feel like the, the, the trench foot must have been a real genuine tangible threat in this film. It's just, and I think we've talked about it with a couple of other films we talked about today, but like that sense of place is such an important thing yeah. to kind of like get you into the vibe of yeah. the film. And I think Southern Comfort is 
such a good setting for this kind of film you're really with these characters in this sort of like uncertain terrain where you're just like I genuinely and they're talking all the time about trying to find the highway finding the highway and getting out of the situation they're in but it just feels so hopeless and this terrain that they're in it's like beautiful and it looks really great but it also hides this multitude of absolute horrors it's a nightmarish film in the best possible way I think that's really important because the landscape is is so critical and so key to this because it, and in the same way that Deliverance did it very well, and it sets it in a place that is America. Of course, it is. It is America, but it's so unfamiliar America. That Louisiana, that, that that Louisiana, yeah, exactly. But that Louisiana kind of those swamplands, the these incredible like, I mean, they look incredibly like cypress trees that just look so weird. They're just like. It looks like the fucking Dagobah system. Yeah, like it genuinely saying. does. And then, and then everyone's there talking French, and it's it's wonderful. It's wonderful, and uh, it, you know, it, it tells you a lot about America when you know this is a huge country. Like we 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 think that oh, it's similar to it, Britain. It's not. It is an inc- it's massive, and this this film really really gets to the number of the matter of going. These guys are in a situation they've no clue how to get out of, and yes, yes, it's a thinly veiled um, allegory about the the Vietnam War, but it mm. works really well in that these these guys are just are just off on their own. Yeah, they're really kind of like they're. It's the ultimate kind of like fish out of water, and obviously you've got um, Powers Booth, who is um, from Texas, who's kind of been. I think he, he has he been moved from his unit to yeah, Louisiana, and I think like he as the kind of like audience surrogate of like he's a fish out of water, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna have to. I'm I'm with Powers Booth here, the strongest chin in the game. I'm trying to work <laughs> out like what these people are about and what this situation is going to give to me and what these other people that are in your platoon are going to be like. But then gradually you're like, oh, everyone's a fish out of water. <laughs> Everyone doesn't know what they're doing. And like, you're in trouble. they're really quickly through a series of very idiotic decisions. They really make their own bed. Through this series of idiotic decisions, you're like, oh, now. And it's that really kind of like scary moment in a film or like a scary moment where you're like, oh, they've really gone off the deep end now. And I think this film does it so well where you are instantly unsettled by the scenario, by the situation that they're in, yeah. but also the landscape that they're in. It's just so inhospitable. Like you mentioned, like this, like the Dagobah system. You're just, <laughs> oh, it's, it's it's a really, I mean, it's a very effective film. It I feels mean, like also, it's cloying. Also, into I'll say, also, I'll say, and uh, like, it's a really enjoyable film. Like I've really enjoyed watching it again. Like the first time I've watched it, I was probably like nine or something. And I've watched it again with my friends now. I'm like 32, but also, the last 10 minutes when the Cajun music starts playing, I it is, it is joyous. Like the, the music is absolutely fantastic. That like, music is right. amazing. Raikuda. Yeah. But right. But then it, 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 it goes to like fucking 11 towards yeah. the last 15, 10 minutes. Like that's insane towards the end. The, it, it's genuinely cause like as the film was sort of, plodding along i was very much like oh i wonder how this is going to like conclude what's going to be the (laughs) ending of this horror horror show that they're experiencing and the ending that it did end up giving me was kind of not what i was expecting and i loved it for that i love that like all the way through you're sitting there going like okay so they're being hunted through this bayou like how's it going to pan out and then the way again I don't want to spoil anything, but the way it pans out is just... As fucked as it is, I kind of want to go back there and get hunted. 
that like, could be I arranged. Really think it, I think it'd be a nice like end to my holiday. Um, if anyone knows anyone in Louisiana that Thank can you. hunt William that'd King, that'd be really nice. Um, It'd be really easy as creaky, well. I'm, I'm terrible. Send, I'm not Powers Booth. Send an email to creakychairfilmpodcast yes. at gmail.com. It's terrible. a great film. I loved it. I have only heard about it quite recently because I read a couple of articles that were marking its 40th anniversary. Um, yeah, I just really thoroughly enjoyed it. I'd say I, it's more enjoyable film than Deliverance. It's I think it's better than it's Deliverance. Better, yeah, I, I think it is. There's slightly, they're aiming at different things, aren't they? I, I, but yeah, no, it's, it's great. I think really it's a more great. subtle so, film. But, but, yeah, 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 a more subtle film. And and just, yeah, the way that they use the landscape, the music, the, the interplay between these different characters that are all kind of flawed and you can't really root for any of them, really. The kind of this messed up camaraderie that kind of exists between them. It's just, yeah. Really, really good. If you've not, if you like me, you've not heard of this uh, before. Absolutely, check it out. It's really, really great. And um, I think, yeah, I think just to, to just to add to it, like I think Deliverance gets more like talking about because of that scene. Honestly, I, I think the I think that... banjos. No, make like a piggy. Oh yes, honestly, I honestly think that Deliverance gets more talked about because of that scene I, I honestly think Southern Comfort is a better film I haven't seen Deliverance in ages so I can't really I, I, weigh like, in on this like but... as much as Deliverance I know uh, yeah yeah fair enough but I, I think it's so much more obvious I think it's so much more obvious and you know uh, like I love Burt Reynolds but it's Burt Reynolds it's no powers boo it's <laughs> no powers boo but I guess it was quite an important <sighs> film in that it was it was smashing perceptions. Yes, 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 was... yes. I agree with that. I agree with that. But I, I do think that Southern Comfort is a, a better film. I think it's a better film. I think it, it ramps up the tension more. The uh, the fish out of water. The the whole fact that these guys are like kind of rinsing this landscape. And then and then oh, I can't I can't get over this podcast because you have to watch this. It's like those last ten minutes when <laughs> beautiful and um. I, I, I really think you'll have a good time. Like, even if you don't like it, I think you'll have a reaction to it. I also which think, I, like, which I, also, I often think of, like, bad film, good film. If you've got a reaction to it, that's Absolutely. That's I also film. think it's always nice when you watch it. So Walter Hill, obviously, director of The Warriors. I'm like, I love The Warriors. I've got nothing but Come time on, for The what? Warriors. It's incredible. But it's always nice when you watch a film by a director that you've only kind of seen one film of. And you're like, oh, you've got chops. You've got some other stuff to deal yeah. with here. Like... It made me think that, like, this is obviously there's a lot of this like, subgenre in itself of Vietnam films or Vietnam allegorical films. Yes, and and this is like well up there as, as being one of the best, I think. But it made me think like, so this is obviously America turning an American artist turning a very very critical eye on their own government and their own system and questioning what it means to be American and to be in the military, particularly and, and American foreign policy. I want to see like the new version of Southern Comfort made about something like Afghanistan and Iraq. Where is that kind oh, of, where is that kind of critic, mm. where is that kind of introspection, that kind of reverse mirrorless? It feels like, I don't know, I don't, without getting too political about it, I just, I, I'm sure there are, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, there are, there have been great films that have been made that are, uh, you know, ostensibly about Iraq and Afghanistan, but it feels like there needs to be there needs to be more. Of it. Yeah, Maybe they'll come right. a few years down the line. Interesting. Probably right. You're years probably years right. I mean, that's a really interesting. I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah, like the I think Vietnam is a film that gets explored 
sorry, Vietnam is a war that gets explored in a lot of really great films that really go into the depth of what that war was. Also, also like, you know. Uh, William, I was talking. No, it's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> but like, we don't understand warfare. Any, like, there's, there's not as many boots on the ground sort of thing. It is, mm. it is um, you know, drones and shit. The military industrial complex. Bang. Also, I mean, so, we but might... I feel like even that there is a very. I mean, there was a, that was that film Under the Shadow, which was a. An oh film, yeah, which, yeah, yeah. Which mm-hmm. was kind of a, which was kind of a horror film, which was dealing with that kind of that specter of doom, the, mm. the drone. But there are obviously with anything like this, with anything war, you can you can make something interesting, something you can say something about it in an interesting way. So I feel like that that's not a just because we're not talking about boots on the ground. It's a very different thing. Warfare, but there's no one, so. no one's making like a film like Southern Cubfoot right now, are they? They're, they're really fucking not. This this might not be a thing that we keep in because I'm not. I've already thought this. I'm already. I know no, what I'm about <laughs> to say specifically. Yes. Um, but I kind of wonder if the whole reason that there isn't a lot of films where like there's a, a critical eye looking on things like Afghanistan and Iraq. I wonder if that is potentially because of like that pro-American patriotism that came after like 9/11. Because I feel like whilst Vietnam obviously was a horrendous war and there was a lot of bad shit that happened there, it feels like Afghanistan and Iraq are so linked into that kind of, especially for like American filmmakers, I wonder if like it's not really a thing that they can be super critical about that. Again, I don't know enough about that American politics or anything, but I feel like 9-11 has such a kind of like, there is pre-9-11, there is post-9-11, and I wonder if like... There's a lot of filmmakers that can't really get too deep into like America is fucking this war was dreadful because of 9 11. No, I think that's absolutely right. It'll, yeah, I think I if it comes that's wrong at all. If that introspection comes, it may well quite a few years in the future, maybe. Funny that we started talking about <laughs> how we years. were having some beers, having a great day today, and we've ended up talking about 9 11. Well, there we go. That's a, that's a good point on which to end. Uh, <laughs> lovely. Uh, thank lovely. You, thank you for coming. Hello. Thank you for listening to our. Um, Yes. Our, our reflections on our on our Creature uh, Film Festival 2021. Uh, it's been a thoroughly enjoyable day. We're going to have a few more drinks now, I think. Um, even though you should not... watch um, Southern Comfort if you want to have a nice time. <laughs> and Sherlock <laughs> Jr. Oh, yeah, okay. And maybe The Keep. Maybe mm. The Keep. Also, do you know what? Just watch all of them Wait, and make your own decisions. Wait, do we even talk about The Keep? Yeah, um, Billy, Billy has drank an entire <laughs> bottle of Southern Comfort, so he is <laughs> potentially not. We just fucking talked about The Keep. Anyway, what did I say? Did I... You'll find out when you listen to it back. Oh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Yeah, join us on our regular slot. We're going to be talking about the new Pablo Lorraine film, Spencer, about Diana Princess of Wales. Uh, we're going to be talking about that, and also <laughs> we haven't we have decided yet, uh, but we may also talk about Ridley Scott's new film, House of Gucci, as well. Yes. So, uh, yeah, join us for that. Thank you very much indeed for supporting the podcast. And, Thank uh, you. Yeah. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'm really sorry about Michael's performance. Um, thank you. Um, yes. What I'm talking about. Hey. No, edit all that. Make this sound smooth and there's going to be a hell of a lot of editing. That's totally right. No, actually, I'll actually say this. I think so far that's actually gone really well.
My favourite bit was when um, you. I mean, I know we've still got something to do, but my favourite bit was when Michael said something and then you repeated it. I was like, it was your own thought. I really enjoyed that. It was really good. Rock and roll, right?